Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unabashed Book Snobbery, the podcast where we bitch about the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad adaptation of A Song of Ice and Fire known as Game of Thrones. And sometimes we just gush about A Song of Ice and Fire because too much negativity is bad. <laughs> I guess so. But but yes, this is the podcast where Book Snob is a proud label. We are here for you. <laughs> My name is Kylie, and here with me I've got Julia. Hi. You can find our writing on our new website, fandomfollowing.com, and then Julia and I also both blog about Game of Thrones on Tumblr. I am GOT Gifts and Musings, and she is the Cultural Vacuum. So recently we've been writing a series of retrospectives about season five of A Game of Thrones. And we started to write them separately, but then you know we were basically writing them together anyway, so we just decided to go with it. And then we thought about recording our retrospectives, you know, for accessibility. But then we thought it actually might be a little more fun to just podcast and spend an hour or an hour and a half going over the plot lines and just having a discussion that's a little more informal. Right. So that's that's what we'll be doing today. We're going to be focusing on the Dornish plotline of season five. Julia's retrospective is going to be linked in um, however we're posting this, I guess. <laughs> Probably our blogs. Yeah, we're really good at this, guys. Oh, and for reference, we call Dorn porn uh, with an E on the end because that is the fandom name that we've adopted. Yeah. Should we explain the other fandom names that we'll use? Oh, gosh, we probably should. Uh, yeah. Well, they're all in the Booksnob glossary, which there will also be a link to. Right. Yes. So we're going to link you to the book snob glossary, but to, where do we even begin? Okay. So with Carol and Larry, of course. Yeah. Everything starts with Carol and Larry. So yeah. Cersei and Jamie in Game of Thrones TV show are not very similar to Cersei and Jamie in the books. And by that, we mean they're complete opposites. Uh, yeah. And they kind of have like a, a cute, weird relationship. So they're just they're actually kind of, cons- well, Carol at least is consistent. Yeah. So they're just Carol and Larry and it's, yeah. Literally impossible for me, and I think for Julia, to refer to show Cersei and show Jamie as anything but Carol and Larry. So those are just, well, they're just their names. When you're talking about and like an a- analyzing the plots of the respective pieces of media, it's right. impossible because they have nothing in common. Absolutely nothing in common. Um, and so there's that. There's that fandom name. Uh, we're probably going to call Doran. Doran in the show they call him Duran, but then Which we think we is think hilarious. We think of Duran Duran and want to start singing yeah. a view to a kill, so we're probably not going to call him that. Uh, some, I mean, technically, it's as valid as pronouncing it Doran. Sometimes we might call him Bashir or Prince Bashir, but Prince Bashir, yes, because uh, the actor previously played a character on Star Trek named Doctor Bashir. <laughs> exactly, um, Bron. I think is still Bron. That was normal. Yeah, well, you can call him like like uh, we sometimes spell it like Brone because <laughs> he's, he's a, bro. a bro. We're very clever guys. Yes. Uh, then there's also Ilaria, who we will be calling Falaria because she's Falaria. She's yes. faux Ilaria. She's not Ilaria. I don't know who she is. But she's not Ilaria Sam. <laughs> no one knows who she is. So she, she is not the bastard daughter of Lord Eller. Right, and <laughs> and then we call the sand snakes the sand fakes. We mm-hmm. technically have, isn't it like Fobara and... Fobara, Foyin, and then Shonim. Shonim? It's not even fim- yeah. Fimniria. Um, yeah. She, she's a non-envy, so it doesn't matter. But I doubt we're going to be using those names because they're a mouthful. And frankly, yeah. the sandfakes can be talked about as one entity, and it doesn't make a fucking 
difference. Um, so yeah, th- those are going to be the fandom names. Uh, we thought it would be a really good idea to just get started with going over the major plot points that happened on the show's uh, mm-hmm. porn plotline. So, uh, Julia, you no, want... We have, we have bullet points. We do. Julia, do you want to start us off? Okay, so the first thing that happens is that Filaria swears revenge, and she goes to Jorah, and she's like, I want revenge, and he's like, no. Uh, just to be clear, if if you guys forgot, she wants revenge because Oberyn's dead. Yes, yes. Show, Showburn. Show, yes, <laughs> Showburn, the sexiest man alive or something, I don't know. <laughs> he likes to have sex, apparently. This is what we learn about him. He lives in a brothel. Yes. <laughs> and at one point, they like, casually mentioned that he studied at the Citadel, I think. That he has kids. <laughs> like, that's it. Okay. What happens next, Kylie? Um, well, so, Ilaria swears to revenge, and then she threatens Doran, and he's like, get out of here. And then, she, yeah. I guess, following, she sends a threat to Carol, but Carol gets it in the very next scene. It's a very scary snake in the box. And, yes. And it has... Snake in a box? <laughs> and it has Marcella's necklace in it. Um... Marcella's lie necklace that there's apparently only two of in the whole world. Except for the ones that existed that Tyrion gave Shay and that Joffrey gave. And, uh, no, Tyrion gave it to Roz. And then. That's random. Joffrey gave and it Joffrey to Sansa. Joffrey gave it to Sansa, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Larry Chase comes Lannister. in and he's like, gee, Carol, is this a bad thing? And she's like, yes, this is a bad thing. And then Larry's like, I'm going to fix the situation and go to Dorne myself and get her back. Yes. Um, he, he mans up. He mans up, and then he travels over to Castle Stokeworth to pick up Bronn. Best use of money ever. It was a gorgeous castle. Yeah, I guess so. You need to talk about the fakes, I'm sorry. Um, okay. We're not going to talk about Lala Stokeworth and her incredibly deep characterization. Oh, we will, just later. <laughs> okay. So then, um... We have this out of... Okay, so they arrive at Dorne, right? First, Larry and Bronn. They arrive at Dorne. Oh, God, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> They're like... Okay, no, no, this is important. First, Larry and and, uh, and Bronn arrive, and they encounter um, the the Diesel Dolts, uh Beach Patrol. Yeah, and they, and, ha- they have a nice fight. Yeah. And then Falaria kind of just rides up to a random camp in on a beach in Northern Ireland and she meets the Sandfakes. And she's like, Sandfakes, support me! Even though she told Doran that the the Sandfakes were supporting her already. And Abara tells her backstory and then they all agree to support her and it's it's very well written. It's like the dialogue just kind of flows and well, then they kill somebody for no reason. Well, the the main plot point too is that they find out that Larry is in Dorne because yes, yes. the the ship's captain who they buried and stuck a bucket over told them that. Yeah. And then and then they kill the ship captain. It's really hard to summarize this because it just makes no sense. I'm okay. sorry. We're really trying, guys. We're really yeah. trying. Meanwhile, Larry and Bronn after after killing the Dornish men, they like put on their disguises mm-hmm. and they they sneak into the water garden to go take Marcella and they like Scooby Doo behind a donkey carrying bananas. Yeah. That's my uh yeah. The banana donkey is is everything. Meanwhile, meanwhile, this is like an action packed sequence. Meanwhile, while they are sneaking in, Tristade and Marcella are making out because they're in love. And we know because they said so. Yeah, I guess so. 
Yeah, and he's all like, we will be married. I cannot do the act. Neither, neither can the actor, so. We, um, we will, we will be married. It's really yes. bad. It's really bad, guys. Um, meanwhile, the Sandfakes and Falaria are doing some kind of like, football cheer or something of the kind, and they're like, yeah. okay, I'm bound, I'm bent, I'm broken, go! <laughs> and then they like, sneak into the water gardens too, at the exact same time as Larry and Ron. And- and Doran and his buddy Ariel Hota are standing watching this whole thing. They're just and watching. Dor- yeah, like like they established that Doran could see everything. <laughs> and and he's like, send in the guards, I guess. But he takes an extremely long time to do that. Well, okay, yeah. Before the guards get sent in, first Larry comes up and he's like, Marcella, come with me. And she's like, what? Then Larry, no, then Bron punches Triss in the face. Yeah, for reasons unknown. Then the three sand snakes just show up and start randomly attacking Larry and Bron, and they're just oh. so bad at fighting. Um, snake foo, we call it the snake foo. It's just, yeah. it's so bad. And then at yeah. one point, like they could have used a few dozen more rehearsals. I think. <laughs> I don't think that would have helped. And then it's, at one point. Nymeria then is like, fuck this. She whips out a dagger and then is like, Marcella, come with me. And attempts to drag her away. And then Doran's like, now, now send the guards in. Okay, good. Yes. Yes. After all that stuff has happened. Because... Ever- everyone gets arrested. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> Including Solaria. Yeah. Yeah, but she's like, like in a random room. And I don't, I guess she's waiting for them to bring Marcella or something. And then the guards come in and she does this thing. It's impossible to describe, like, the gesture thing that she does. You have to rewatch it. It's the hilarious like, thing I've ever seen. It's as if in her script it said, do a triple take. And she's just like, yeah. darting her head back and forth and looking confused. Oh my god, it's so wonderful. Okay, so they're all arrested. Mm-hmm. And then, in, and then, uh, there's an episode break, I think. Yeah. So the next episode that Larry has a convo. With Madison, Lan- we're not going to call her that, but we kind of call her Madison Lannister. <laughs> yeah, Marcella. She's just a little snotty teenage brat. And yeah. she comes in and she's like, what were you even doing? And he's like, you don't understand these matters. And she's like, yes, I do. And you're stupid. And you don't know me. <laughs> don't know me. Then she stomps her foot and she stomps up. Like literally. Like literally. <laughs> um, then we get the scene in the prison cell where apparently somehow during the snake foo, Tyene managed to stab Bron a little bit, and she there's like grazed him on the arm, with and the there's dagger. poison in him, I guess. But that the long farewell. But that poison is boner activated, so she tries to get his. I don't know. She tries to get him to have an erection so that the pen- the, the poison will penetrate. So she flashes him. Yeah. And then says, "Call me the most beautiful woman in the world." And then, no, is that a honeypot or is that like actually what happened? Like, cause, like the honeypot is that like an elevated heart rate will make the yeah. poison act fast, faster. That's the honeypot. Um, to be clear, honeypot is when fans of Game of Thrones invent rationalizations for idiocy that happens. Mm-hmm. Just so they're like, oh, guys, this totally made sense. So yeah, totally makes and, sense. Like usually. It makes a lot more sense than what actually happened. Yeah, and like, it totally makes sense that a poison would work with an elevated heart rate when he got it during a fight and his mm-hmm. heart rate was definitely elevated. But, okay. Yeah. And it, it comes from the Lannister honeypot theory of Talisa's existence. Where, oh yes, that's where the yeah. name comes from. Just get, read the glossary. But yeah. anyway, <laughs> he, 
as he's dying, he's like, I guess you're pretty hot, Tyene. And she's mm-hmm. like, okay, feminism, here's the antidote. <laughs> Best audition scene ever. Oh, God, do you want to talk about the soup? <laughs> <sighs> okay, so uh, then there's another episode, right? This is this is like the ninth episode now. Uh, Larry is like t- brought into Doran's presence, and he's like, Yo, dude, what's up? I guess. And Falari, it, it makes no sense. Falari is there. Like, isn't she supposed to be in jail? <laughs> She's just and there. Apparently, <laughs> apparently she and Dorn haven't had any kind of conversation at all in between her arrest and when they brought in the important political prisoner slash guest. And, <sighs> and so Dorn is like, what the fuck are you doing here? And Larry is like, I'm here to rescue my daughter. And Dorn is like, what? Your daughter's not, oh, he doesn't. That's supposed to be a secret, even though everybody knows. But yeah, I'm here to rescue my niece. Oh yeah, totally. sorry. But, but she is also his niece, so it's not really a lie. Uh, but, um, and Dorn is like, "What? Your niece isn't in danger at all." And he's like, "But I received a threat." And then, like, Falaria's Falaria the look makes... that Falaria gives is like <sighs> twirling the mustache. It's yeah, so bad, guys. And Prince Bashir is like, "Are you fucking kidding me? This is my life." And <laughs> Yeah, and then for some reason the scene transitions and we see the Sand Snakes still in jail. Like, mm-hmm. the scene just cuts to the Sand Snakes in jail and they're playing the Slapsies game. You know, yeah. where you have to, like, move your hand away before the other person slaps it. And Best game. They're just slapping each other. And then Hota comes down and he pulls Braun out of the cell. No, like, 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 Tyene legitimately, like, whacks <laughs> Namiri in the face, like, hard. Yeah, because Namiri was telling her. So. Yeah, with, about the Slapsies game. Yeah. So then Hota comes down and he pulls up Bron because he's like, oh, Bron, you punched the heir to Dorne in the face. So Yes, because need... Tristan is the heir to Dorne. <laughs> you need to face justice. <laughs> we'll be talking about the, the heir to Dorne later, Julia, I promise you. Um, and then, so then Bron is brought back up into the adult room where the, mm-hmm. where the no, little lady... No, you forgot ladies... the most important part. Which part? Oh, the which... part where... where... But Bron is being led away. She fishes for another compliment. (laughs) And then Abara calls her a slut. Because of course she does. Yeah, because that's what sisters do. Especially in Dorne. Especially in Dorne. Oh my god. This is so bad. So then, yeah, so then the men, so then Bron is brought up into the man's room where like the serious conversations are happening. Although for some- Did we talk about how Filaria randomly dumps her wine? No, Filaria- to protest that happens before La- Bron comes in. To protest Larry's, like, presence in the room, I guess? She just dumps mm-hmm. the wine onto the floor. No, because cause Doran randomly starts to toast Tommen. <laughs> like, with no preamble or context or anything. He's like, let's toast the king. It wasn't everyone's- even a feast. What's he doing? I don't know. But, like, everyone's like, okay, let's toast the king. And then Falaria, like, spills her wine on the ground because she's a bara, apparently. And then she leaves and she's she calls... Doran's manliness into question, and he's just like, oh, remember, you have kids. And then she goes away. Oh, right. Right. I I can't even remember what order these resolutions happen, because, like, the following happens. Bron is brought into the room, and Hota punches him in the face, and that's supposed to somehow be justice for punching Tristane in the face. Then Tristane is is learning wisdom from his father, and that was the solution that he came up with. Right. Then Doran offers everybody in the room soup, as a joke. (laughs) Yes. And then I think Filaria, like, fake cries to Doran. Yeah, there's, there's a separate scene where she's, like, groveling. And the like, sense snakes... Like, she's on her knees in front of him. And, <laughs> and the sense snakes are watching and they're tied up in yeah. rope. 
don't know why that's funny, but it's very, very funny. The looks but, on her face are really funny, too. Yeah. Doran does this whole spiel about how he believes in second chances, but not third chances, and she must swear loyalty to him or die. And she's, like, she's completely like- breaking down yeah she's like breaking down and sobbing like i don't think anyone told the actor that like this is fake yeah i think they just like forgot to tell her that um yeah i've heard they treat their actors i wouldn't be surprised um then i guess it goes to the final episode where they're all on the no 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 first she bonds over uh, oh my god right right she she comes into like say yo larry i'm really sorry for like trying to kill your niece daughter thing um and then she's like it's totally fine that you're in love with your sister. Like, in Dorne, people are really cool with everything. Yeah. Uh, and we don't get to choose whom we love. <laughs> yes, this is this is very important thematically. Like, actually, though. Yes. <laughs> so, and then, like, Larry, like, looks, looks off. pensive, I think. He looks yeah. pensive. Oh, this was after she teased him for having shitty handwriting because he's, like, a cripple. Yeah, that, that was nice. And, like, apparently the maester is super corrupt and he makes you pay to send things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Forgot to establish that. Uh, what the fuck? I don't understand how she could mention seven-year-olds and not mention Little Loreza, who is my girl. I, well, she forgot. She forgot about a bunch of her yeah. daughters and Maester Kellogg. Like, I don't know why they did that to Maester Kellogg. Like, that was not fair of them. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, then we go to the docks. This is the final episode, and they're saying goodbye to. Larry, oh, oh, right, Doran decided that Tristane is gonna go to King's Landing. Yes, because that makes sense. Because it makes sense to send your heir. Your only heir, because he doesn't have any other children, apparently. Apparently. Um, so Marcella, Tristane, and Larry are gonna depart for Doran. But Filaria put on- From po- Doran, you mean. <laughs> Whatever. Filaria put on poison lipstick. Mm-hmm. And she makes out with Marcella. Yep. To- <laughs> That happened. <laughs> to kill her. Yeah. And Tristan and Larry just kind of like watch this happen, and they're like, "Hmm, yeah. that was yeah. that was slightly odd." Yeah, my sort of aunt always makes up with my girlfriend. Yeah, it was really strange. And then why she didn't make out with Larry too is beyond me. But whatever, she didn't. Yeah. Then they get onto the ship, and on the ship, there's another scene between Marcella and Larry, and I guess I don't know. Tristan and Bron are like bonding over swords or something, and bonding over punching. And in this scene, Larry basically says, your boyfriend seems nice. That's <laughs> your cool. Your mom might even like him. By the way, I'm your dad. And Marcella's yeah, like, I know. And I'm so happy. And then she dies. <laughs> yep. That's what happened. And then, and then looking the on. The plotline is over. No, it's not. Because oh, looking it's... on, we oh, see right. fo- we cut back to Falaria and the Sandfakes watching this ship. And then Falaria is like almost starting to die because she wanted to wait to drink the antidote to a very dramatic moment. Yep. Um, then Tyeen hands her, Tyeen hands her another antidote, which all antidotes in Doran must be carried on necklaces around your neck. Yes. Um, the like vaguely pharaonic kind of design. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she drinks it and then she like wipes the lipstick off of her mouth and then she goes to throw the handkerchief into the sea and it like <laughs> misses. It kind of floats away. And then that's, that's Dorn. That's the end. Yep. What's a story, Mark? <laughs> that is porn. Yeah. Um, porn is apparently just one kind of area on the map, so. Yeah, so that, that's the entire plotline. And now that mm-hmm. we, like, we want to, you know, definitely dissect this, but I think 
it would be constructive if we first talked about our highlights, if there are highlights. any, and our lowlights. Um, I mean, like, when we say highlight, it's kind of not really the best moment. It's the moment that we kind of enjoyed as book snobs the most, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, book snob highlights. So, yeah, how about, how about if you start us off with your highlight? But mine is below yours. But, so? <laughs> Alright, so my highlight is really kind of ineffable, but it's those, like, kind of random moments that you can look at Alexander Siddiq's performance and you can see Doran in there. Because <laughs> he's so kind of nailed that actual role. He's perfect. He's absolutely and perfect. It is painful. Like last summer when we were hearing all these horrible rumors about what <laughs> they're going to do with Doran. It's like the one the one bright spot was Alexander Siddiq is playing Doran. Right. He's per- especially in episode two where he kind of um, has that conversation with Valaria. Yeah, he's the- talking about... How, you know, he loved his brother, but he's not going to do something stupid to avenge him and, you know, all that stuff about how he doesn't want to go to war. Like, you can see Doran in there. That's Doran. Yeah. And, and the thing it's about, the thing about Siddig also, and I think we talked about this, we call them micro expressions, which is actually mm-hmm. an inaccurate term because that's like expressions we can't even see. Okay. But what we just mean is like subtle, quick, like facial things mm-hmm. that these actors like non-verbal do. Non-verbal kind of things. And Siddig nails it. Like you mm-hmm. can see the like years of internalized guilt behind him in the scene. And like I don't, I don't know how much is actually Siddig and how much is like us being insane and projecting onto him. Yeah. But he, imagining that he's sad that there's no Ariane. Yeah, but he like really, really nailed it. Mm-hmm. it especially in episode two, that was so especially. Good. Uh, I don't. After that, you can't really see. No, well, because I mean, after like, that he's delivering that, lines about soup, like yeah. But in in that even in that scene where Filario is groveling, like like Doran has this kind of thing where he's a nice guy, but he's also kind of a hard ass. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of see that in that scene, even though the scene itself makes no sense on any level. His Martell face, yes, yeah, his Martell. Well, we made up Martell face, but in our brains it's canon. So, but basically, we're we're crazy and yeah. In- there's this thing called a Martell face, and Ariane and Doran are both masters of it. And it's mm-hmm. just, they can, like, shut people up with a look. Yeah. And it's just because this cold. They just like, have, like, this kind of very deeply internalized sense of authority. Yes. Um, so, like, so Siddig, the <laughs> Siddig nailed mm-hmm. the, that look. Um, I'm, I'm gonna pick a really weird highlight, uh, which is that, I'm actually really compelled by Larry and Carol's relationship. Like, I, 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 I understand that they're brother and sister, and that's wrong, but they, it's something about Lena Headey and Nicolas Coster Waldo, like, when they're together in a scene, it's just so compelling. And, and that it helps that they're both really hot. They're really hot. And that scene in episode two, where Carol was like, then don't call her your daughter you've never been a father to her and just like the the emotion poured into that i mean maybe this is more of a highlight of carol's landing than it is of porn i don't know but it's it's like there was just so much to that scene and larry being like i'm gonna make this right she goes you've never made anything right and it's just like so packed it's like they wrote these two characters that i don't recognize but they're so packed with all this agency and and intricacies that when they interact with each other, it's actually interesting in a way it's not supposed to be interesting. Well, when they have actual conversations rather than just talking near each other. Right. And, and, and that's another podcast. (laughs) That is in that episode, in episode two, that was very close to an actual conversation. Yes. Because they like responded to each other. 
It wasn't like the episode one conversation where Larry would like say one thing and then Carol would just respond with something completely unrelated. And they'd be like, yay, writing. That's how it works. Um, lowlights. Do your lowlight. Uh, well, my lowlight is basically the Sandfakes and all of their interactions with each other. <laughs> because not only is it utterly unlike in the novels, but it's just, just infantilization personified. Like, they're just, they cannot get along. They're always bickering. They're completely petty. They're slapping each other. They're calling each other sluts. And these are supposed to be like, you know, sisters who have this incredibly strong bond and who like, you know, they're kind of united in their passion for revenging their father. And <laughs> they also don't they have just... any discernible personality differences. No, absolutely not. I mean, the Sandfakes are, I wrote an entire essay about this. The Sandfakes are basically a failure on every single level. Like, no matter how you look at them, you look at them as an adaptational choice, you look at them as just separate characters, you look at them as, like, you know, women who are supposed to be empowered. They're just a complete failure on look, every single level. You look at them horrible. as people who are supposed to, like, have reasonable reactions. Yeah, just, just kind of some kind of, like, you know, logic in the brain that works and kind of natural progression of thoughts. So, of that. so wait, Julia, does this mean that you're, like, really upset that the Slapsies game was cut? Because, like, that was supposed to be in a two-episode arc. Yeah, that's the closest thing to an arc this plotline has. Yeah, so so for anyone who doesn't know, before Filaria shows up at the Bed Bath & Beyond tent in the desert, um, there was supposed to be a continuation of the Slapsies, or that was where the Slapsies game was supposed to originate. Yes, they had this fierce rivalry because uh, Nymeria always won at the Slapsies. So what was supposed to be happening was that Obara was supposed to be meditating. Because she's a warrior monk, apparently. People, like, yeah, like, uh, Dorne has this whole Bushido culture, apparently. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, and then Nim and Tain were supposed to be, like, trying the slapsies thing, and then Obara was going to say a line that was like, give it up, Tain. Nim learned the way of the knife, or the whip, before she learned the way of the knife and fork. I don't know. It was... <laughs> I, I, don't even wanna, the, uh, I don't even want to guess what it would have been. The actor who played Obara is a Kesha Castle Hughes, is that her yes, name? Yes, yes, correct. She put a lot of thought into that character. It's kind of sad to read her interviews. She's like a really good method actor. Um, she's like, she, like, have you seen The Will Rider? Yeah, I have. That woman can act, and it's tragic what they did to her. Absolutely tragic. It, it, it was, you know, 90% the writing, 10% the direction, but they just did mm-hmm. not do her any favors. Now, whoever told her to have that look on her face all the time. <laughs> she looked like she was smelling poo. Yeah. My, mo- my mom doesn't watch the show anymore. She used to, but then she like thought it was too upsetting. Which, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of gets there. And I was showing her just, like, shots of the sand fakes, and she was like, why is that girl always smelling poo? <laughs> like, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, and then she told me that uh, Tyene looks like she should be going to the mall. Yes, <laughs> she really does. Yeah. So uh, so that was Julia's low light. My low light, I don't, I don't know if this is a low light or a highlight. <laughs> I have never enjoyed a Game of Thrones scene more than I enjoyed the snake foo scene. Like, I, I was really nervous watching this episode because that's, that's the episode in Bowed Unbent Unbroken and I, mm-hmm. I pretty much knew what was going to happen in the Sansa plotline. So I had like all this like pent up, like anxious energy as I was watching it. And the snake foo scene came <laughs> and 
something just snapped in my mind and I could not stop laughing to the point where I was crying because that's how bad it looked and that's how bad it was. I mean, just the editing was terrible. Like there's that one. Okay. I never notice editing. Right. Like, I'm Neither invisible to me. And I noticed how bad this editing was. Like, like you don't understand how bad it has to be before I notice it. There's that one move that Tyene did where she like jumps up. But they yep. sped it up to make it look cooler, but then they also sped up, like, bronze movements near her, so you could, like, totally tell it wasn't lining up. And you could definitely see when Tyene's uh, stunt double came on. Yeah. Like, 100%. It was so unbelievably horrible. And and the entire setup, too, just, like, they all, like, derped into the water gardens at the same time. <laughs> Behind a donkey. Behind a donkey. <laughs> And they just all went for Marcella in broad daylight as Doran was watching. Yeah, and Marcella and and Tristan just wanted to make out, you know? They were just, like, kids who wanted to make out. Even that that was terrible, because, like, (sighs) even that, he's, like, walking around in his Rico Suave bathrobe with his giant thumb rings, like... It's possibly the least convincing romance (laughs) on this show to date, and this is the show with Laura Talisa in it. So, and like Tyrion and and uh, Shay, every single romance on this show is completely unconvincing, except for Larry and Carol. Larry and Carol is good. That is a good romance. So, like, I think it is a low light because it was just bad by every single metric, but it was a highlight for me to watch. Yeah. I know you talk about how you were anxious watching this episode. I was anxious every single episode that had Doran in it because I was waiting for them to butcher my favorite scenes and my favorite little bits of dialogue and interaction. <laughs> And then it I just, didn't have to worry because it never happened. It just, yeah, it, it just, they never even, they didn't adapt the plot line at all. No. We should probably, yeah, let's, let's transition into talking about, like, what they actually did with this. Because yes. it's, it's unthinkable to me that you take the Dorn plotline from the books, which is about Dorn. Like, Marcella is there, but she's very much yeah. a secondary character. It's a tertiary yeah, character, like she- even. She shows up basically for one scene. Yeah, and it's a scene that Where, is contextualized by like, what... She's kind of, like, I don't want to say she's an object, but she's not the actor. She's the object of the action. She definitely, she definitely is an object, and it's, you know, Ariane makes her use of her, and that's gross. But yeah, uh well, she's a ten-year-old kid. Yeah, um, exactly, she's a ten-year-old kid. Tristane doesn't even appear on the page. Uh, mm-hmm. He's just, like, off. But it's unthinkable to me that they they take this plotline that is all about Dornish characters and Dornish internal tensions Mm -hmm. and the Martell family, and they made Larry the protagonist. Yeah. Because it's not like he had his own plotline to do, I guess. Okay, yeah. So there was already the decision to pull him out of the Riverlands, but then he's going to be back there. We still don't know why. He's going to be there next year? Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently. I have no idea what they were thinking. At River Run. I have no idea what they were thinking. So, yeah, Larry was the protagonist of this Dornish arc, and, like, that's very... That's obvious, because Doran doesn't do anything. is like, the antagonist who's running around trying to, like, yep. poison Marcella. Uh, For some reason. <laughs> why she made that her target. Uh, it's... And the entire plotline, correct me, because you wrote about this a, a lot more specifically, the entire plotline's theme was Larry embracing fatherhood? I think so. I mean, like, because you have kind of the kind of uh, the opposite theme with Valeria and how she doesn't 
care about anything but revenge and Larry kind of embracing his fatherhood despite all of the implications of it. I think they tried to make a point. I don't know. So it's like you need to be a good parent or you're mm-hmm. awful. Like that's the <sighs> love conquers all. Love conquers all was like almost a separate thread, but that was definitely running through this whole thing. Yeah. So it was like half Larry embracing his fatherhood and half Larry embracing his love for Carol. Yes. And being because like, Falaria gave him permission. Falaria gave him permission and, and he, we don't get to choose whom we love. And what's really fucked up about this is that season four ended with Carol basically being like, I choose you, Larry Chu. And yeah. then for some reason Very in moving. season five, things were bad between them again. Like it was just not explained. Well, because he let Tyrion kill their father. Oh, right. 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 Yeah. Cause he kind of screwed the pooch on that one. But then he was the one who was upset about the family legacy. I don't know. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> like, literally nothing makes sense. So now Larry is, like, all gung-ho about Carol again. But I'm yes. guessing next year he's going to come back to King's Landing with Marcella's corpse. And she's yeah. going to be, like, really upset at him. And then it's going to be framed like, oh, Carol, you asshole. <laughs> well, I don't know. If they want to put his... Riverlands plot in there, then, like, his Riverlands plot is all about him realizing how horrible and caustic and mutually self-destructive his relationship with Cersei is. But, but it's, so, it's really disturbing to me that this is gonna take place after her walk. Yeah. Because it's very, like... Well, the order of things doesn't matter, Kylie. As long as you check off the checkboxes, it's okay. fine. But, like, no, if, the, if they seriously do have him, like, reject Carol after her walk, like, the implications now that she's already been through the walk of shame, like, it's very slut-shamey. What are implications? <laughs> uh, I mean, like, at, at this point, like, you try, you try to talk about, like, you know, how the significance of his Riverlands plot and how that will play into season six, but we know it won't matter. We know this. <laughs> we just, we just don't know how it won't matter yet. Are, I don't know how much we want to talk about season six spoilers because uh, there's like other stuff we could get into. Let's let's focus back on porn. Um, yeah, well, let's talk about how this was not about porn at all. First, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about Ariane. Like, it's impossible for us not to. Just, okay, just as a quick warning to mm-hmm. our listeners, Julia and I have very strong feelings <laughs> about Dorn in the book. Yes. We have very, very strong feelings about Ariane Martel. Uh, Martel. She, she's both of our favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Fa- character, pl- singular. Uh, we did a reread of her plot line, and we, we are Ariane stands. Like, that is, we, we. That is accurate. We don't gloss over, like, the messed up stuff she did, but no. we absolutely stand for her. Well, and we, try, we have to kind of make an effort, a conscious effort, not to gloss over those things. Yeah, but, well, because uh, fandom in yeah. general really doesn't like her, so then, like, you know, overcompensation, mm-hmm. but whatever. So, so we're just, just as a warning, because we're going to start talking about the book <laughs> plotline, you're going to hear us get very passionate <laughs> about this. Yes, very gushy. Yeah, Um, and you're you're going to start <sighs> And we'll to try question. not to freak you out with all of our incredibly intricately detailed headcanons. You're going to be listening to this and at some point think, perhaps I've made a horrible mistake. That's what's going to yes. happen. <laughs> or maybe we'll convince you to stand her with us. Yeah, I think... She's so awesome. I think that might be a good idea, because I think what we need to do... We can't really dissect porn without talking about what Dorn is. Yeah. And what Dorn is, is a family drama. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a family drama of House Martell. And 
every single thing that happens leads to the moment where Doran and Aryan finally have a conversation with one another. Like, that is the yeah. thematic climax of Doran. So... It's no use for crows. Right. Uh, do you want to... Um, how do we even recap this? Uh, it's very difficult to recap, but basically... What happens is that uh, there's this dude named Doran, Doran Nimeros Martel, Lord of Sunspear, Prince of Doran, um, and he rules this part of the Seven Kingdoms called called Doran, which is this is for all you show watchers, I guess, which is a very interesting part of the Seven Kingdoms because it was never actually technically conquered by the Iron Throne. They tried a couple of times, but uh, it was independent for about two hundred years after the rest of the kingdoms were amalgamated by Aegon the Conqueror, right? Skyly? Mm-hmm. Yes, correct. Yes. And they actually ended up joining the Seven Kingdoms through a marriage between the Prince of Dorne and the King's sister. It was uh, almost like lip service. It was almost like lip service to yeah, joining the Seven Kingdoms. Like, they're, they're autonomous to the point that, like, yeah, it, it's basically just a cover for the fact that they're still independent because they, uh, they have their own legal system, which is very, very different from the Westerosian legal system. Uh, there's kind of implied in several places that they kind of decide when they want to pay taxes. It's not really clear, but um, they and, have a lot of control over their own internal financial affairs. Um, the kind of um, like the way that the way that the king speaks to the prince of Dorne is very different from the way he speaks to the other vassals. Like, say when he says like, "Oh, I want your military support for the army." It's a lot more like you have to. Yeah, and the, and the most Dorne's unique part about their laws was that. Uh, women, it, there's equal primogeniture, so women inherit yeah. the same as men. Um, and yeah, that, so if the eldest child is a woman, she inherits even if she has a thousand younger brothers. Right, and even when they joined the Seven Kingdoms, like, that still stayed. Yeah, well, one of the main kind of sticking points with joining the Seven Kingdoms is that they got to keep their own laws. Exactly. And it's not just the inheritance that's different, but that's kind of the most kind of... That's the one that sticks out the obvious most. ...obvious way, yes. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's other things like... Um, like, lords have obligations to their veterans. Yes. Who fight for them. Um, there's, there's the paramour institution. It's, it's basically yeah. institutionalized concubinage. Uh, concubinage. Concubinage. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they have very different kind of, um, views on sexuality and the relationship between the sexes, which is for very complicated historical and cultural reasons that we will try not to get into. Right, like, they're, they're not really, um, there's no real stigma against, you know, homosexuality or anything, but mm-hmm. uh, they do have a very ingrained and very classist system of marriage. So it's just kind of expected, yeah. like, yeah, you can have you can have a lover of the same gender as you. That's fine, but like, you're going to also have this politically advantageous marriage. Um, yeah. It's kind of like paramours are for love, and marriage is for heirs and the stability of Dorne. Yeah. Uh, so it's a very pragmatic region in that way. And the A Feast for Crows plotline revolves around, um, God. Should we mention the racism? It's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, we should, re- we, we, we yeah. really should. Well, um, because they're so different, basically, the Dornish are very othered within Restros. And this kind of plays in, in a lot of different ways in the novels, just they're, they're seen as a very kind of exotic, very kind of overly sexual, overly violent place. Right. Um there's this one book that someone wrote about Doran where he's like, There's three types of Dornishmen. The salty, <laughs> the stony, and the uh what's the other one? Oh my god. The salty, the stony, and the sandy. Sandy, right. And yeah. 
and it's just like obviously racial like racist mm-hmm. caricatures of what it is and what's hilarious yes, is that pseudo-anthropology right what's hilarious is that like the fandom is like oh there's three types and they just like take this at face yeah. value and it's like dude no that's like really like because like them they've been they've been like a unified political entity for a thousand years yeah they've been intermarrying they've, for like all that yeah. time and and people are talking about like well the stony have the most andal blood so they're not really yeah. that leal it's like what the hell are you on <laughs> They have blonde hair. Okay, good. Thank yeah. you. That's that's very helpful information. Um, but it, it's it's really important because you know Martin writes his close point of views, and sometimes he's a victim of how good he is at getting inside other people's heads. So people will just like mm-hmm. accept this at face value. You know, when Eris Okart is like thinking about the fact that Ariane is just she Ariane masturbates because she eats spicy peppers, <laughs> like it heats her blood. She can't help herself. Right. Yeah, and yeah, um, we haven't mentioned that the Dornish are very proud of their distinctiveness and they're very nationalistic. Yeah, Oberon, when he, when Oberon first comes to King's Landing in the books, he is like mm-hmm. determined to freak out everyone with his Dornishness. Yes. Which is, I think, why he was like, yeah, we're looking for someone to share in the brothel. It's gonna be great. Yeah. And he completely mentioned, he continually mentions like that his mother was the previous ruler of Dorne. Uh, he, <laughs> He's just like, this is my paramour, who I expect to be treated as your social equal. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, he's just uh, very aggressively asserting his Dornishness over and over and over. Right. We actually don't think he's like, as, as I guess, uh, crazy as he like puts it out there. He just like. Well, they definitely played it up in the show. I mean, he, he's definitely not um, Ned Stark. But they dialed it up to like eleven, like they do with everything yeah. else. Where like he's he's more of a like a six or a seven. <laughs> they dialed it up to eleven, right? But I don't I don't doubt that he has sexual adventures. But yeah, although the book comment kind of made it sound like Alaria hadn't been with a woman before, or at least not with a blonde woman. Like this is, this is not something they do. Ever. Like they have four kids. You know, I know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, we are getting on a tangent. We okay. So the plot line, yeah, that this season of Game of Thrones was supposed to be adapting was yes. you've got this really unique region, and they, you know, they have a very strained relationship with the crown because uh, during Robert's rebellion, when Tywin Lannister and Robert's forces and Ned Stark's forces came and like took over and de- and throughout the Targaryens. Um, Elia Martell, who is the sister of Doran. And Rhaegar's wife. And Rhaegar's wife. She was brutally, brutally, brutally murdered by the mountain, which was the plot line of last season with Oberyn trying to, like, fight him. Yes. So, so you know about that. So, like, they, they, they've so had her a... And both of her children were murdered. Right. Like, they've had a bad relationship with the throne for that time. Uh, at the time of the rebellion, there was even talks that they, like, might back Viserys, but apparently John Aaron went down there and, like, that talk them out of it. Talk them out of it. So it's a very tense relationship, and for that reason, Tyrion sent Marcella to them. Uh, yeah, he basically the assumption was back in the Clash of Kings slash season two that the Dornish will back Renly just because they hate the Lannisters so much. Yes, which is kind of funny once you know Doran. But that was the assumption, so that's why Tyrion sent them Marcella. He sent them. Um, he offered uh, Doran a seat on the small council. They offered them several castles on the border. Like the, he totally kissed his ass. For no reason, basically, but you can't really blame Tyrion. But um, securing donor support was seen as very important to the legitimacy yes. of the Lannisters. So that's why Marcella is there. That's mm-hmm. why she's the ward. She's um, betrothed to Tristane, who is the youngest child. Of he's the th- yeah, he's the third. Yeah, third-born child. 
And it's adorable because, like, in the book, she's, like, 11 and he's, like, 13 and they just play mm-hmm. chess together, basically, and yeah, and make lovey eyes at each other. Um, <laughs> they're just, we don't even know if they make lovey eyes. They might just be buddies. They're just, like, little kids but... that are, like, hanging out. Yeah. Uh, so, fast, fast forward a little bit. Uh, Joffrey dies. So there's a bit of political ambiguity with who could come into the throne because, you know, Marcella's in Dorne. Dorne has equal primogeniture, and Marcella is certainly older than Tommen. So, I mean, it, it's really not ambiguous, yeah, but if you... It's kind of like rule I like, yeah, that's your justification, okay. Yeah, like, you could pretend it's a good justification. <laughs> then Oberyn dies, and Dorne is pissed. Like, the the region mm-hmm. is pissed. Um, The small folk are... Because he was, he was a rock star. He was, like, Princess Diana times several hundred. Yeah, he was really, really popular. So, so all of Dorne is, like calling for war they're pelting doran with like rotted fruit to be like yo we want to fight him doran because doran and doran sound way too much too similar she, mama martel did not do should a we good call, service there. should we call him doran <sighs> can we stand to or will we giggle every time i mean i think that's okay though okay doran so the small folk of doran are pelting doran with rotting yes. fruit to like beg him to go to war and then all three of the sand snakes uh which are the same as in the show except yeah, tyene of the books is absolutely not Alaria's daughter no that is that was like a harmless change but i just do not understand why it was there at all i just don't know why they couldn't have called her elia but yeah she would have been a perfect elia sand yeah um well yeah yeah um, she likes to make out with boys. So all three of the sand sand snakes come up to Duran in the books, and they're like, they each have an idea for how to get revenge on the Lannisters. Obera wants he, to like sack Old Town because that would do something. Um, she has baggage in Old Town. Yeah, Nymeria wants to like assassinate, assassinate all the Lannisters. Yeah, um, not Marcella, but she wants to kill Tommen. Yeah, she, they, they never want to harm Marcella. That's kind of an important point. Yeah, she's their guest and their ward. Yes. She wants yeah. to, she and wants to kill Tommen, like she wants to kill Jamie, she wants to kill Cersei, and I think she says Tywin, who they think yeah, is still alive. Yeah, because they don't alive. know Tywin is dead yet. Right. And because then... Information takes time to travel. And then Tyene wants to crown Marcella, and claim that she's the queen, and then apparently just wait for the Lannisters to, like, invade, because that would be war. Uh, yeah, and you don't want to invade Dorne, it's worse than invading Russia in the winter. Exactly. It's not something you want to do. Right. Because they will fuck you up. They will, um... It's a very difficult land to invade. Mm-hmm. And the the other thing about that plan, that specific plan, which we call the Queenmaker plan, is that Tyene says she heard it from Oberyn, which is kind yes. of important. Okay, so then Duran locks up all three Sand Snakes. Like he would. Like he would, like anyone would to someone who's threatening the peace and doesn't actually have any political importance. Because mm-hmm. that's well, what they kind of do. I mean, they're they're very popular. That's what you do, and but, like I, they're not they're not like the uh, the four younger daughters who are connected to another major house in Dorne. They're kind of right. They're just yeah, they're just there. So this is the point where we first meet Ariane, right? Yeah. So we meet Ariane after the Sand Snakes have been locked up, uh, and what what's going on too? She also has information that her younger brother Quentin. Mm-hmm. has snuck into Essos with a very suspicious party. It's yes. like a, a maester and a couple of, like, noble kids. Yeah, his, <laughs> his noble buddies from Ironwood. 
Uh, right. Uh, so, like, that's suspicious to her because when she was 14, I'm sorry you guys are getting so much backstory, but we can't gloss yeah. over this. Um, when she was 14, she complicated. read that's a important. letter that her father wrote to Quentin when Quentin was off fostered at Ironwood, and the letter said something like, one day you will sit where I sit and rule all of Dorne. And this was upsetting to Arian because she is the eldest child and under the impression that she was going to inherit Doran. And it, it was really not, like, there's no other way she could assume, mm-hmm. there's nothing else she could assume other than that her father was trying to put Quentin in her place. What was really going on was that Doran had a secret wedding pact for Arian to marry Viserys. Uh, which she had no way of knowing about, and he never told her about it. And as time got, he has issues. <laughs> they both have communication issues. And as time went on, they just like didn't talk about it. Um, yeah. because, you know, after she read that letter, the relationship kind of got bad, is what we're assuming. Uh, and well, I don't it, think we have to assume. I mean, it, yeah, it did. Well, and, and it was it was one of those things where like she a lot. We call it uh, Arianne's year of angst. Right. A lot of, th- uh, several things kind of happened at once. Like one that she read this, like, because before that, she and her father were extremely close. They had a very kind of good, like, it really stands out in A Song of Ice and Fire where she would scrape and her children. Right. She would have, scrape her knee and run to him. Yeah. Which is like very weird for like a noble kid to do. Yeah. Usually you would like run to your septa or your mother. Like, you know, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so their relationship was completely deteriorating because she basically thought that he hated her for being born. It was kind of heavy. And at the same time, her parents' marriage was completely in its death throes because he, uh, he's basically divorced. Like his, but his, uh, wife moved back to her. Malaria. Yeah, Malaria, which is a stupid name. But they, uh, they tried to work it out for a while and then now she, she doesn't even live in Dorne anymore. She lives back with, you know, her people in Norvos, which is half the world away. Mm-hmm. Um, so her, parents relationship was deteriorating at the same time and also at the same time she was having like her first kind of boyfriend and that completely fell apart because of her communication issues again we need so, to like we can't talk to, about damien too much oh uh, uh, we will try not to talk about damien but it's it was an emotionally significant thing that happened to her that also contributed to her angst right okay. and and so what it was was like i th- i think a lot in response to the letter like she, you know she she had sex for the first time when she was 14 probably after reading this letter is mm-hmm. what i would guess and that kind of contributed to doran thinking like oh wow Ariane's just like this out of control teenager who can't be trusted I can't trust yeah she, and she runs around with tyene all the time and tyene's a blabbermouth like all this stuff like she hangs out with like people that i don't think doran would want her to have hung out with as much as she did yeah. But at the same, what he doesn't realize. Except for Damon, who was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but then she completely threw that entire relationship in the garbage. So oh, absolutely. Well, because she's a yeah. princess. Um, yeah. And I mean that as a political position. Yes. By the way. So what it was was that, like, he, he kind of just misunderstood her character because he didn't realize that she actually didn't tell her friends anything. Like, no one knew her inheritance was threatened, or she thought yeah. it was threatened, rather. No one knew that at all. So she's actually incredibly similar to Doran. But, like, her libido freaked him out, I guess. And then just they wouldn't talk to each other because there was this issue that she just was so terrified to talk to him about. And so yeah. terrified to get the feedback that, like, yeah, he really doesn't think she's worthy of being his ruler. Yeah. And so and that that sat for nine years, guys. Yeah, for nine for nine years, they kind of just 
stewed in the juices of their own angst. And really, the, like the tragic thing about it is that a conversation could have a conversation initiated by either of them could have solved this at any time. And it never, it never even it never occurred happened. to them to exist. So yeah. it's it's much easier to plan treason than to talk to your father. Yes, is what we learned. And when we pick up in the Feast for Crows, it's been nine years, and all these things are happening, like Quentin going off to Essos. At the same time, we're learning about um the Golden Company, which is the sellsword group over in Essos, just broke a contract, which is, like, unprecedented. Yeah. And they have ties to the Ironwoods, so Arion's, like, seeing pieces clicking together and mm-hmm. she's and and the sand snakes just got in prison so she's thinking oh my god my dad is going to move against me and replace me and by replacing her he would also then get rid of equal primogeniture and all of dorn so Which they're kind of attached to right so there's heavy cultural implications for everything going on too so her only bargaining chip her only recourse that she sees is that marcella really looks up to her and marcella's kingsguard eris okart is uh stepping Ariane. So she like yes. has him in her pocket. <laughs> that's a whole, we shouldn't laugh because she's abusing him. But yeah, like that's, that's, it's just, this is the only leverage she has. I think yeah. this is the only recourse she saw. So what she realized that she could do and what her plan to do was she was going to do the Queenmaker plot, um, which is what Tyene suggested. And yeah. the idea was to crown Marcella queen say that therefore like this is a very dornish thing to fight for right like this is equal mm-hmm. primogeniture women's rights it's very unique it's at a time when dorn is incited already because of oberon's death and it wasn't so much that they really gave a shit about putting marcella on the crown on the throne it was just more that like that would necessitate the banners being called and that would sort of make Arion the clear titular leader of Dorne in a way that her own inheritance could never be challenged. Because uh, her father is seen as very kind of indolent mm-hmm. by most of his lords. Like, they're very kind of instinctively loyal to him because Dornish are crazy like that sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, like, any kind of... But they've been they've been seething, basically, for 17 years since, since Elia was killed uh, about, you know, wanting to... Wanting to get rid of the Lannisters, wanting to have some kind of, you know, statement of their disapproval of this. And so anything that would kind of unite the Bannermen under her. Right. And and she wasn't even planning on displacing her dad. Like, it was going to be very... She was going to have him live out his days in the water garden where he's happy. And she would never, ever hurt him, ever. No. You don't, you don't understand how much these two like into each she, other. She, everything that she's upset with Doran about, she projects mm-hmm. onto Quentin. And Quentin <laughs> is just like... He's just like a nice boy. Like, yeah, Well, we don't meet him until A Dance with Dragons, so the reader has no idea what Quentin is like. Right. So she just, like, projects all this onto her brother, and it's like, yeah. oh, it's oh darling. <laughs> Yeah. So what ends up happening is that she goes to crown Marcella and, and, uh, things go to shit because mm-hmm. Doran finds out about it and he sends Hotas to stop the whole thing because they were like, they were like going to ride through Doran and raise her banners at like a, mm-hmm. a house in the middle of Doran. It's not, those details really aren't important. And then Hotas stops them all and she has like a party, by the way, with her of nobles, like noble yeah. children that are important that have big houses. Yeah. And her friends. Hota, Hota stops them all, and then Eris, who's the king's guard that she was stepping, is like, oh no, I've been found out in my honor. So he, like, basically does a suicide charge into Hota's axe, because he, he can't live with the shame of what was going on. So he dies, and while everyone's distracted watching Hota fight him, this one member of Aryan's party goes rogue, Darkstar, Gerald Dane. Yes. He who com- she's also slept with. Who she has also slept with. 
I think she slept with everyone in her party. Except, I, except not Garen. Not Garen. I will not let her sleep with Garen. No. <laughs> not in my head cannons. She's definitely slept with Dre. She's definitely slept with Dre, and Silva's probably, like, kinked around. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, this is, like, so not important. But, uh, Gerald cuts off one of Marcella's ears. He tried to kill her, but Marcella's horse, like, reared. And he had wanted to kill her because he was saying, you know, princess, if you crown Marcella, we might not even get a war. Like, the the lion is not so easily provoked. So he yes. wanted to kill Marcella just to guarantee that war that he thought Ariane wanted. But, and Ariane shut him down with her Martell face immediately. Yeah, she's like, no, we do not harm children. Yeah, what this is, is an important point thematically. <laughs> this is an important point thematically, and it's important yes. because of what they gave us in the show. Yes. So, anyway, then Ariane gets thrown into a tower for three months, two months, what is it? Yes, yeah, like, something like that. A crazy amount months. of months. She, like, tries every trick in the book to get out. She, like, manipulates one of her washerwomen to like send a letter on her behalf and then she like strategically thinks about which house in Dorne to send it to and it's yeah. like it's she's, she's pretty she, awesome she does everything it's really cool she ends up she going even on does a hunt- that whole yeah she does a trick where they bring her breakfast and she runs past them <laughs> yeah she tries to run out the door when they open it <laughs> I love her. I love her so much. Oh, and then she was like, when she first gets locked up, she's like, when my dad wants to see me, I'm going to wear the most provocative dress in here and make him uncomfortable. And like, that's her strategy. It's a very overlick strategy. It's actually a pretty good strategy. Yeah. But well, he's terrified of the fact that she's sexually mature. Yeah. So yeah, works. absolutely. Because he's like a dad. Mm-hmm. And anyway, whatever. Eventually she goes on a hunger strike because that's really her only recourse. And he then summons her and is like, okay. Let's talk, but first eat something. Then they finally sit down and have a conversation, which breaks my heart, and it's a little emotional for me to talk about. Yeah. So, Joya, well, you have to take um, it. Well, basically, Doran's problem is that uh, Marcella is, like, you know, she's injured, she's disfigured. There was apparently a period of time where she was basically in danger of her life because, you know, she got a massive infection. That happens when you have a gaping wound on your face. Uh, but the thing is... That, you know, she, Marcella was his ward and she was harmed under her, under his watch. And her mother is going to want an explanation. Her brother's going to want an explanation. So, but like, y- they can't exactly tell the truth. You can't say, oh, my daughter was trying to overthrow Crime. you. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, one of my own knights decided to try to kill her. And, and that is not information that they can share. And it's not like so, they would volunteer it, but Marcella yeah. could. Yeah. Marcella would tell that, like, you know, she, she, has the instinct to tell her mother the truth. And Doran, because he's Doran, decided not to even meet his own ward for six months. So why would she listen to him? Uh, right. And the only person that she would listen to is Arian, who she has apparently of this very close relationship. She she looks up to her. She respects her very much. So what Doran needs is for Arian to convince Priscilla to lie. Right. And but, and Arian is like, well, why should I? Because you're just going to replace me. Yeah. So, so that, that is why he calls her down from the tower. And he calls her, he calls her down because he needs her politically. Yeah. He, his strategy is to try to berate her and tell her how stupid she is. Basically, like, like, look at this horrible problem that you've caused. Look at this mess, Arian. Look at it. And then, yeah. And And then what he expected was basically for her to beg forgiveness, but she doesn't do that. She, and actually what's funny is she plans to beg for forgiveness mm-hmm. because she's like, I can't be in this tower anymore. I need, I can't do this. But then and when she's, she's just so full of guilt. <laughs> like, and she's so yeah. racked with guilt over Eris's mm-hmm. death, over Marcella's, like she doesn't even know if Marcella's alive. Um, and 
what ends up happening is, like, she sees Doran and she's, like, thinks about apologizing and she just gets so full of anger mm-hmm. about everything that she can't. And there's this one line in the books which said, and the princess refused to be cowed. Yes. And it's the best line in the entire <laughs> series. And the entire <laughs> theme of this conversation and this plot line is Ariane Martel's refusal to be infantilized. No, she refuses to, uh, she refuses to kind of reject her own responsibility in this. Right. Like she, she basically, like she could have basically begged for forgiveness. She could have said like, you know, I was a stupid little girl. I made a mistake, but she, she, she turns it on Doran and she's like, what the hell's yeah. wrong with you? Why do you, oh my God. It's so, it's so bad. Yeah. Uh, I can't talk about the scene. I, I wrote a 70, a 7,000 word piece about this where I broke up the entire conversation, which we will link to. But uh, basically um, what happens is that, uh, Doran, because he's an idiot sometimes, oh. he decides to compare her to her brother and said like, you know, why would you do this to me? Your brother, who I I sent away when he was a child for like political reasons, you know, I've never been a father to him, but he's he's loyal and you're not. What the fuck is wrong with you? And she's like, well, why wouldn't he be loyal? Like You are trying, you're taking my birthright away from me. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And so... You can explain this better than me. I'm not doing a very good job. Um, no, it's, it's, she just calls him on it, and she's like, "You've yeah, been, she's, you've been trying to, like, re- you've been yeah. trying to replace me since I, was... I know what you're doing." Yeah, and, and he and he is like truly taken back. He's like, he I had can't... no idea she felt this way, and she's like breaking down at this point. She's like, mm-hmm. "What did I ever do to make you hate me so?" And then he's just like, "Oh my god!" For the past decade, I've been letting my daughter run around and think this. Because um, mm-hmm. she she tells him about the letter she read, and he he finally owns up, and he's like, "I had planned for you." to become the queen of Westeros and to marry Viserys. Mm-hmm. And then what's really kind of cute is he's like, we princes make our plans and the gods smash them. But he's using princes like politically and including her, like relating to her. Yeah. And she's like, nope. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so the conversation basically ends with an assertion of his affection for her and how he like never wanted her to think this for a minute and like he never planned on replacing her and it and, and, and but the important thing is that she gives him basically an ultimatum she's like you will let me in on whatever your stupid plans are mm-hmm. i like i will be we will be equals basically from this point or you can kill me yeah and it's just like it's just so nice because it's uh joy joy described it best where it's it's like <sighs> You don't communicate with your family about what's upsetting you, and then it just tumbles out at the most inopportune moments. Like, you're suddenly sobbing on at the Christmas dinner table on ruining your grandma's, like, really nice tablecloth. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's what, that's what this plotline was all about. Yeah. And, and it worked, uh, between them. They, they are on the same page in a dance with dragons. There's a scene where Abara dumps wine on the floor. Uh, but yeah. they're, like, working in perfect synchronization towards the end goal, uh, and they have like a let's get rid of the Lannisters plan. That's that's an action. Well, it's it's more of a let's protect Dorne plan, but that's kind of their strategy to protect Dorne. Yeah, that's kind of my interpretation of it. But yeah, so so that's what a half an hour later. So that's what should have been <laughs> adapted. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm really sorry, guys. We really like Dorne. So <sighs> let's take that and adapt it for TV. Mm-hmm. By cutting out Ariane Martel. Yes, she does not exist in this. And continuity. here's the thing: they thought, you know, Alaria would have given us buy-in, right? Because we knew Alaria from season four. 
What's Alaria's role in the book? Oh, yeah, let's talk about Alaria's role in the book. So, Alaria is Oberyn's paramour, just like yes. she is in the show, and she's the mother of four of his kids. And when, like, in the A Dance with Dragons chapter, what basically happens is Doran releases the Sand Snakes and is like, you're going to help me with Operation Protect Doran slash Get Revenge. Um, yeah. And the Sand Snakes kind of agree to it, and Alaria is like, this is ridiculous, where does it end? Like, Oberyn died to get revenge for Elia, and what? Like, where does this end? Now he's... Now you want revenge for him. Now you want revenge for him, he's and dead. And you'll get killed, and your little sisters will want revenge for you, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she's very anti all of this. She just she just kind of wants, like, peace, and for everyone to stop it. So that's Alaria in the books. <laughs> and then... I can't believe this. I still... It's a year later... And, and I still can't believe and it. And then Falaria in the show is, like, running around, like, <sighs> growling at everyone. But no, what what I what I do think, I think they thought Alaria was taking on Ariane's role, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. in the show. But they clearly didn't know what Ariane's role was in the book. a lot of people don't. Right, so I think... I think they were really stupid when they read the books, if they read the books. And what... What Benioff and Weiss interpreted was Ariane wants revenge for Oberyn, so she yeah. tries to crown Marcella, and it doesn't Which, work, and then she learns to listen to her dad. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she doesn't want revenge for Oberyn, but that's just, like, like reason five of the list of reasons that she has. Yeah, her her main, main, main reason is her birthright. and yes, her daddy issues. Her daddy issues and the cultural implications of those daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... They clearly had a fundamental misunderstanding of like what Dorne even was, but then yeah, they didn't even they didn't even do the Queenmaker thing. They didn't establish equal primogeniture on the show's canon. They established it in like extra features. Yeah, but Which, on the sh- in, on uh, the show's canon, it's never mentioned. No, and they thought they 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 do like things. They have they have like a character who is a woman in the novels be a man, like a very minor character, Lord Blackmont, and then they kind of have Mama Martell casually mentioned. Yeah, they kind of, uh, they kind of casually mentioned that Oberyn's father took them to Castle Rock, where in the books it's, it's their mother. And just like the, like, like tiny little details like that, that kind of like, you know, it, it just paints the picture. This. That, right, it just paints the picture that Dorn is like not unique legally in that, in the way it's mm-hmm. supposed to be. It's just that like, oh, they just really like sex and violence. Yeah. And that's Dorn. So it's, it's like, it's, it's as if Eris Okart's racist grandma wrote wrote this plot line like that is the perspective that we're getting yes um i wrote an essay about this too yeah it's a really good essay i wrote a lot of essays about this yeah uh, this is a really good essay it's it's the one linked um about orientalism and dorn and it's it's definitely definitely read that uh, because the racial implications alone of this plot line are ridiculous but it's like they took like the sexy elements of dorn and then um didn't Which exist. I mean, like, yeah, they but, exist, but they dialed them up to eleven. Basically. But then, what? I guess what they conceived of was like the Queenmaker plot was all about revenge in their mind. So I therefore, guess. it doesn't matter how they get revenge, just as long as they want revenge. So let's just have them try to kill Marcella, and that which was it was never like they never wanted to harm Marcella. No one wanted to harm Marcella no. except Darkstar, and that was even like even for him that was Plan B. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, somehow that would be getting revenge because Cersei loves her children and we have yeah. one of them. 
Yeah, Carol would be upset. Carol would like be upset. Carol, we like our mugs of Carol tears. Yeah. But what what strikes us as odd is that they find out Larry is in porn and they don't shift their tactics at all. They're not like, hey, you know, this Lannister might actually have been responsible for some stuff. Yeah. So they just want to keep want to keep on keeping on <laughs> fighting <laughs> killing Marcella. Like that's the entire plan. They cannot plot change line. their plan. They can't. And what really I, I don't know if this is even upsetting to me at this point. What really sticks out to me is the theme, not even the theme, the result of this plotline was mm-hmm. that it was four hysterical women, four hysterical brown women, actually. Yes. Or, or I guess Nim was um, East Asian, but overreacting to events and being ridiculous. And then all the men being like, it's okay. Yeah, calm down. We can talk about this rationally and have some soup. Oh my god! It was so again. We're not over the soup. We're not going to get over the soup. It's infantilized, squared. It's infantilized to the seventh power. It's like, and even Marcella was like completely, you know, huffy the whole time. (laughs) Well, there was very little difference between how Marcella, the huffy teenager, behaved, and how. Filaria, the huffy teenager, behaved. Yeah. Because Filaria was, like, stomping around in her shoulder pads, like, I'm going to shove a spear up your ass, Hota. And you're like, what the fuck? It was the thing is that, that like, um, there, there are two moments that they stole from Obara, basically, and gave to Filaria for no reason that I can conceive of. The, the moment where Obara kind of uh, barges into the water gardens and starts yelling at Doran. And uh, the moment where she's very um, upset at a feast and she publicly kind of dumps her wine on the ground and refuses to toast the king. And these these two moments are kind of meant to characterize Obara as very kind of emotionally immature because she has a lot of baggage that she she can't deal with because yeah. somebody taught her that crying is a weakness. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the other thing, too, is that um, if they thought that Ilaria was taking on Ariane's role, why did they give her all of Obara's characterization? <laughs> yeah. And, it, and that just kind of like... The only thing I think they tried and to... The, the, the thing that, that, like, the the theme in the books with Ariane was her refusal to be infantilized, and they kind of indirectly infantilized her. Indirectly? Well, like, indirect, because she's not, it's not actually Ariane who's being depicted. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, so the, they kind of shoved the infantilization back into the spotlight. They shoved everything back. Oh, okay, and then, and then, Julia and I are not really stable enough to talk about this without getting upset, but... Tristane was my dear. Even if, even Fuck if you. you don't want Ariane, yes, to to have the role she had, why could she not have been the heir? Like, couldn't she have just been kind of like with Doran, like stop overreacting, guys? Yeah, maybe like they they could have tag teamed Larry in that conversation and been evocative of something in the books, something, anything, goddamn. But they foregrounded a character who does not exist. On on page, Tristan exists, but yeah, he, he, we never actually we have we have yet to actually speak to which, which actually, or actually see think, him. We actually even. think it's a little shady because like <laughs> his father comes back from the water gardens and he's like not there to greet him. And we're like Tris, what the what are you doing, buddy? I told you, Ariane grounded him. Yeah, like we have these very specific <laughs> head cannons about Ariane grounding him because he was sneaking out at night for finger drumming lessons. Yes, he wants to be a drummer. Anyway, we're I'm sorry. We're, <laughs> We're not, we're not. We're not normal. No, not at all. Um, but they fore, they aged, they aged up 
Marcella and Tristane. And I, so they can suck face. I guess they kind of had to age up Marcella too because they aged up Tommen. And yeah, they well, aged up Tommen because it was really funny to have him and Marjorie have sex, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that was our conclusion, I believe. So therefore Marcella needed to be aged up. And if you age up... Well, not that they did anything with the fact that she's older than him, but whatever. <laughs> no. That's a good point. She could have been, and they had to recast her too, because for some reason. So, and I guess if you age up an eleven and a thirteen-year-old to like sixteen and eighteen, they have to be sucking face, right? Like that's mm-hmm. a requirement. But what what kills me is that uh, HBO was was like using this as promotional material. There's a Facebook ad. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna link the Facebook ad too. Um, there's a Facebook ad that looks just terrible. And it shows Larry stare, like, looking at, you know, Marcella and Tristane, and the quote is, she's made herself at home. Because now she's sex obsessed, like all the Dornish are. Which is, like, Bron's quote. And, like, I think they really thought this was a selling point. Like, we would really want to tune in to see how Larry would, like, handle his bumbling dad moments. (laughs) Like, I don't even... I don't even know. Why did we get that scene where she was like, you don't know me at all? And and then follow it with the scene where she's like, I'm really glad you're my dad? Because she had an arc that we didn't see at any point, I guess. Yeah, that was really weird. Yeah, she had an arc where she somehow came to appreciate Larry. Yes. Um. Because... Um, because why did we decide that she had like because because during the conversation with the soup she found out she was in real danger and larry really cared <gasps> yes like, yes that's what our honeypot was right because she yes. found out that the snake necklace was real and she's like i lost and he's like well it was in a threatening letter and she's <laughs> like oh dad does care <laughs> i just like this image of like Filaria breaking into her room and stealing her jewelry <laughs> well my question is when this happened because like yeah. It seemed like Filaria just got back to Dorne when she s- stormed in to yell at Duran. Well, there might be a wormhole somewhere there. There's a wormhole somewhere, but she had time to get a sassy haircut. Yeah. <laughs> a new outfit. With shoulder pads. Yeah. And it- admittedly pretty cool jewelry. Her couture jewelry is pretty cool. Okay, well, can we talk about the other outfits, though? The costumes <laughs> in porn were just beyond any kind of belief. Like, you had the the, uh, the, sex the bathrooms bathroom. of sex appeal. Yeah, and you had the kind of poofy prom dresses, and they all, all of the women's outfits uh, featured these kind of bikini tops. <laughs> that look like you got them at H&M. <laughs> yeah, but, like, like, you had, like, an off-the-shoulder dress with, like, a visible <laughs> bikini top. Kind of, so it kind of looked like you're covering up the beach or something with, like, your prom dress for some reason. And... Uh, and the dresses all featured, like, you know, like, obviously very well done hand embroidery and, you know, gold accents and everything. That, uh, and then all the men wore the same kind of bathrooms, sex appeal Sex outfits. bathrooms, which also were gorgeous, by the way. Yeah. Like, all we're, the costumes we're not, are... We're not knocking the quality of the costume. Yeah. We're just knocking the the choice. They had, like, all these beautiful details, like, like, Doran's wheelchair was just beautiful. And there's, like... a. When Larry and Rosella have their their teenage daughter conversation, there's the, this detail on the bars on the windows. They're, they're shaped like spears. And there's this kind of panel at the top that's all suns because the, the sigil of House Martell is like a sun kind of stabbed through by a spear. What's really strange to me, though, is that like, okay, in, in porn, yes. there are two locations. There's a beach 
Yes, and in Northern Ireland. There's a beach in Northern Ireland, and we say that because there's one point where Larry is fighting one of the beach patrol bo- boys, and like, mm-hmm. it's just full grass behind them. Yeah, like, like, you can just, it's like, it's Ireland in the background. Like, that is like a tip, very kind of stereotypical, like, rolling hills of eerie kind of thing. It, it is, it is worse than when Charlton Heston was playing Moses, and he raises his hands to part the Red Seas and you see his wristwatch. Like, it was it was that level of bad in terms of how out of place this looked. Um, so there's there's the beach in Northern Ireland yeah. with the lush green and there's the water gardens. The, the, there's a, a cultural landmark in Spain. Right. And those are the two locations in Dorne from what we can tell. Yeah. And the really odd thing about the water gardens is that in the books, the point of the water gardens is that there's all these children playing and yes. they're naked, so you can't tell who the highborn and who the lowborn are. So on a thematic level, it's like yeah. Doran really weighing his choices and thinking these are the people I'm protecting and like, it's it's very deep. Yeah, because there's this whole kind of educational system in the water gardens where all the all the highborn children, all the little princes and princesses, they kind of hang out during the course of their childhood with, with like, you know, other highborn children, but also like lowborn children, like, you know, the daughters, the daughters and sons of the local blacksmiths and like other kind of random people who are made wards of the prince. Which and, is very unique to Dorne, of course. Yeah. And it kind of like, it kind of like uh, the Martells kind of, even though they're, they're very classes, they also kind of have a common touch. Because they yes. they know how to interact, like. But you see that in Winterfell too. Like Arya is playing with servants' kids and things like that. But it's yeah, in the north, I guess you see that a bit, or at least yeah. for the Starks, because they're a little honestly, they're a little grab ass with how they raise their kids. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there, there's a, there's this kind of idea that like you know children, especially, are kind of they're all intrinsically innocent and worthy of protection and safety. And that's kind of... That's like, Dorne, in a nutshell. Yeah, we call it the lesson of the water gardens, because that's, like, Dorne, Doran, Doran, or Doran, or... <laughs> the Prince of Dorne God damn it. is kind of, yeah, he's kind of, um, he's very kind of fixated, like, the water gardens are his favorite place in the world, and he's very kind of fixated on the safety of the children there. Very, very, very strong protective paternalism vibes. Yes. And all of that, but it's, it's, uh, you know, it's to a point, and in porn... The water gardens are just really pretty gardens. Yes. Where it's like nice really back, it's, to, it's nice backdrop insane. for Tristane and Marcella to make out. Mm-hmm. And for the life of me, I can't fathom why they spent all the money on this location, which they had limited filming at too, because it's a, it's a major landmark in Spain. And that's why yeah. Snake Fu looked as bad as it did, because apparently they only had two weeks to like, practice and film that or something or two days what was it It was something ridiculous they had a week for the whole thing and that included all the scenes in uh the extremely beautiful room with the soup uh (laughs) and it included like all the tristane and uh, marcella walking around scenes and the scene on the balcony in the second episode so they had a week to film basically most of the dornish scenes did they not practice I don't know. I mean, some, it's, it's one of those, like, sometimes they have oodles of time. Like, sometimes, you know, ten episodes in a year is absolutely nothing. Sometimes they have the craziest schedule ever. Sometimes they have, like, loads and loads of money to throw around and all sorts of things. And sometimes, you know, budget restricts them. So, like, you know, take your pick. <laughs> yeah, and and I think what kills me about this is that had they done this all in a parking lot in Northern Ireland and had a mm-hmm. green screen, it would have looked better than this. Possibly gorgeous backdrop with just horrible 
acting mm-hmm. and horrible action. Well, if they had spent like a few more days in the writers' room or like had like some competent writers, <laughs> that would have solved a lot of problems too. That's the real trick, isn't it? Yeah. Oh. The thing about porn, though, and we're we're going to do these podcasts for all the plot lines of mm-hmm. uh, season five. It's going to go along with our retrospectives that we've been writing. Yes. The thing about porn is that it's actually the plot line that makes the most sense. I mean, well, there's Kara's lining that kind of makes sense. No. 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 Well, no, nothing, no. Remember the bat finger flowchart. I remember. <laughs> Nothing makes sense, Julia. Uh, well, it, it has some kind of thematic unity to it. Uh, porn does, I mean. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because of the love conquers all theme. The love conquers all theme. And the thing is, is like, it, it's not that the character actions don't make sense. Because if there really is this stupid, crazy, revenge-obsessed woman, yeah. this is how she's going to act. And I if suppose. if Duran really is just like, I'm cool with the Lannisters, take my air... That is how he would act. And if Larry really is a befuddled dad, that's how he would act, right? Like, so, like, it, it, yeah, it made sense on a level. It was just bad. Um, yeah, it was. It was what really, I can't believe I mean, is, like, even if you don't care about the family drama that Joy and I just spent a half an hour <laughs> detailing, even if you don't care about that aspect it was of. longer. <laughs> even if you don't care about that aspect of Dorne, the reveal. That Doran has secretly been working at the downfall of the Lannisters since Robert's Rebellion. The reveal that he's had this marriage pact to the Targaryens. Mm-hmm. That's a good reveal. It's kind of important plot-wise. It's kind of important. Yeah. Like, and, and Speculation-wise. It's interesting. Like, it's possible that they're going to do it next season on the show after Triss is already there. Because who cares about the order of events, I guess. God. Because, like, nothing makes sense, but then... What is this, Kylie? <laughs> nothing makes sense. Literally, if Duran of the show, if Bashir really wanted to bring down the Lannisters, he could have just killed Larry and had actually good reason to. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Larry kind of, you know, he killed his, his men. He killed his soldiers on the beach. He killed his soldiers he's on the try- beach. He's trying to kidnap his ward. Uh-huh. With, like, yeah. This, like... Carol was right. She's like, if you come in there, it's going to be war. Yeah. But he had, like, every, they had every right in the world to kill Bronn. Yeah. Oh, definitely to kill Bronn. The yeah. fact that Bronn walked away with, like, is a chipped tooth. ridiculous. Also, the Sandfakes hate Lannisters and Lannister men. So For some reason. why did Tyene let Bronn live? Because he called her beautiful. And what? that stoked her ego, and she has very low self-esteem. I read something that someone was like, this is actually a really ingenious way to set up the antidote that Filaria drinks in the finale. Because we okay. wouldn't have been able to figure out it was an antidote otherwise, I guess. <laughs> well, the entire thing with the, with the poison ivy lipstick is just so stupid. They can set it up any way they want. It doesn't make it less stupid. <laughs> The, I mean, which part is the most idiotic to you? Like, the method of killing? The fact that, like, the ship isn't even out of sight of land and Marcella's dead? <laughs> the fact that they could have killed Larry? I mean... There's so much to choose from. There's so much to choose from. I know, the thing that's sense. most offensive is the kind of blatant emotional manipulation that that scene was. <laughs> Where it's like... And they were even proud of it. They're like, yeah, this would have been a really nice scene if she hadn't died right afterwards. They're like, <laughs> yeah, I wonder who wrote that. Yeah. It was almost worse than the like blatant emotional manipulation. Kylie, of- Kylie, Kylie, Kylie. What? 
You know that episode that we're talking about, Mother's Mercy? Yeah. Where they have a mostly manipulative conversation and then she dies? Yeah. That won an Emmy for best writing. <laughs> bad pussy. We didn't talk about bad pussy. <sighs> Do we even have to talk about bad pussy at this point? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so, so on the docks and they're all saying goodbye. Uh, Tyene and Bron, who apparently have a thing. I didn't know. He looked, she, he she looked tortured not him. that into it. Which... Yeah, well, she tortured him, so therefore, they're in love, I guess. Um, so, he's like, so, Tyene, I guess, uh, I'm going now. Uh, I've, got a, maybe, I've got a nice woman waiting back. Yeah, me. maybe I'll come visit you. And she's like, no, no, I'll, I'll come visit you, since apparently we have a thing. And he's like, well, I have a noble woman waiting for me back in King's Landing. She's really hot. Yeah, she she don't know her. She lives in Canada, but she's pretty hot. And um, <laughs> and Tyne leans in and goes, and I quote, "You want the good girl, but you need the bad pussy." And then like, and then she bites him on the ear. Yeah, and he's like slightly bemused. Yeah, he wasn't turned on. He was just like, uh. he's just kind of like just that that, that teeth sucking thing, and he nods, and then he goes away. And the reason we have to talk about this is because this is in the episode that won the Emmy for Best Writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that hadn't happened, it would be completely unremarkable. It's just a bit of horrible dialogue. But, yeah, apparently it's the best thing that was written all year. <laughs> From any TV show. Like, it's oh my better god. Better than Mad Men. Better than Orange is the New Black. Better than... To be honest, that line doesn't bother me as much as, like, everything else. That, it, that, that line is just the perfect special. microcosm for all of porn. That's yeah. That's just so uh, so indicative. It's, it's very Benioff and Weiss that line. They've what? been writing lines like that since the first season. Yeah, they really have. Well, <laughs> some of these lines from the season: "Fear makes you good at hiding." Like, what, <laughs> Dario? What are you talking about? Snakes slash out, then you can cut their heads off or something. What was that? <laughs> Wait, what? The 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 for. Uh, deadpan and it's all like oh good i want the snake to lash out or something bad. oh yeah yeah yeah. she's gonna break the wheel which totally makes sense all of deadpan's lines are amazing <sighs> i'm not a politician i'm a queen <laughs> okay danny do you i mean all of these lines this season but you know porn was just particularly I mean, just, bad just that is such an objectively horrible line bad pussy yeah. And, like, I, apparently a lot of people were thinking that it was, like, Benioff and Weiss's way to be, like, putting down the book readers also. Like, a lot of lines can be interpreted like that. <laughs> like, you want the good books, but you were giving you the bad pussy, and you yeah. need it. It's like, I don't want your soup, Doran. Please. Please make this stop. <laughs> but it, it's funny, because we just decided several minutes ago that this is this is the plot line in the season that makes the most sense. It's the plot line is, that makes the most sense, and it's the plot line, the, it's the deepest. Yeah, but this is also the plot line that was universally panned. Yeah. Nobody liked this. <laughs> no, it was horrible. Well, I, I, It made sense. It didn't mean it was compelling. I think no. the other plot lines are compelling because people project things onto them. Book things, mostly. Book things, mostly, are like... Honeypots. Exactly. Or people, like, hate Carol, so let's see her get hers. So. Yeah. That all makes sense. Um, I I don't know. I don't know, man. Hard home look cool. <laughs> Just... Apparently. Gotta jingle your keys in front of Kanye. <laughs> oh, God. Are we... Did we cover porn? Are we missing something? 
I'm sure we're missing something. We uh, we barely touched on how useless Tristan and Rosella are. But yeah. we can just state that Tristan and Rosella are useless. Uh, so, Tristan could have been played by Kylie's cat. Yeah, so, so we make a joke because my cat is named Tristan Nimeros Martel, which I got him before this season. So don't. Yes, and I, they don't do the Nimeros thing, so. They don't when do somebody the is Nimeros. Because um, the, the Martels have two last names, basically, because their house was kind of refounded by the marriage between a foreign uh, princess called Nymeria and uh, the Martels, who were a very minor house before this marriage happened, and they kind of went Isabella and Fernando all over the place. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah. We, we make the joke that my cat could have played <laughs> Tristane. But you don't want me to go on about the history of Dorne? <laughs> I always want to go on about the history of Dorne, but I'm worried our listeners are not going to want to go on about yeah. the history of Dorne. Uh, um, and we're at like an hour and a half. We are. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, but we make the joke that my, my cat could have played Tristane, and absolutely nothing would have changed. And like, no. instead of pulling out his sword, he would have pulled out like a dead mouse. <laughs> and like, it would have been the same. It probably would have been like thematically just as deep and meaningful as Tristane running around with a cutlass. Like, why the fuck was he making who out with his girlfriend? Who, yeah, who was making, why was he making out with his girlfriend with a cutlass? <laughs> what was yeah. he doing? Um, and you know, I don't know. We, we we talked about it was hysterical women being hysterical, mm-hmm. like and how Tristan is every single toxic masculine stereotype ever. Oh yeah, they even had to have Marcella be like, "Have you had other girlfriends?" And he just like gives a little like, "You know it." Yeah, because like Tristan in the book's the one who doesn't even on page. Like he's kind of painted as a very not a very martial little boy. He's very um. He's just sweet. He uh. Well, he's we- sweet. He's very considerate. Like like um. He doesn't seem to be anyone's squire, which really confuses us because even Doran was a squire at that age. Um. Yeah. And yeah, he's not depicted. Uh, like he's he's more like Steven Universe than yeah anybody else. There's, I think there's a this is like a slight Winds of Winter spoiler, but we learn that like when Marcello she gets sent back to King's Landing, but like without him because that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense for her to go with him for him to go with her rather. Because we're not about giving people hostages for no reason. Yeah, um, and he cries when she leaves. Like yeah. that's that's the chest of the book. Yeah. So so there's that, and and then you know. Uh, not enough can be said, and I'll link our third unabashed snobbery. I'm sorry that we're linking so much. It's just that, like, we talk about all Unless these Unless you issues. want us to talk for five hours about this. Which we could. Don't get us we wrong. We could. We could. Um, but there, there's there's not enough to be said about what they cut out from Jamie's arc and mm-hmm. how much his Riverlands arc mattered. And I know that we're getting it in some facet, but, like, the, they so glossed over him adjusting to being one-handed, him adjusting to learning. And they just strength in in the real way maybe that should have been my low light all the ablest jokes about his one-handedness i mean his his <sighs> golden hand became this big like oh what a hoot it stopped a sword and he still won that fight like it was really disgusting because yeah. because one of the main things that martin does with jamie in the books is, is he really strips away this idea of strength as defined as the warrior and yeah jamie finds his own voice and he finds his own way to like navigate the situation and that that matters it does because Jamie has always been a really good fighter. Right. That's like how his identity was crafted. Yeah. And the the fact that he went on this this he was the warrior and Cersei was the maid and that was both kind of broken down. Yeah, it was a deconstruction a of both of that and and yeah. a deconstruction of his idealism of the relationship which had been a lot the, in part of his own projections too. And kind of his re-idealism of really the concept of knighthood. Yes. And honor. What yes. is honor? Um of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew Sorry, it. Sorry, we we had to do it at some point. We did. Um, and it's like e- even like little things. And I I understand Ilan Payne's actor on the show was terminally ill. Um, he's actually in full remission right now. He's doing really well. Yeah. Uh, but the the choice to have him bring Bron instead of, of all the people in the universe. Yeah, because the whole reason that like. Jamie in the books chose Ilan Payne as his traveling buddy is because he was silent because Jamie needed to work out his inner demons and and talk about how he's fucking his sister and like have someone that wouldn't you know talk back really and then Bronn is meanwhile like you let Tyrion go didn't you you're fucking your sister aren't you and you're like what the what is happening giving a relationship advice how is Bronn qualified to give anyone relationship advice first of all how does he know these things second of all Third of all, why the fuck does he care enough to give him advice? And they're keeping up with the buddy trip. Like, yeah, the, he's gonna be there next. Gonna be year. hanging out with him in the Riverlands because they're uh, really into bro trips. What, what 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 boggles my mind is that in all of Dorne, in all of porn, I'm sorry, the one person who died was Marcella. Like, yeah, this is what they went with. They had to, they had to, and they had to kill her, and she had to be beautiful while they were doing it. Yeah, apparently. she got, she got a tragic nosebleed. Um, yeah, be- <laughs> beauty is never tarnished, by the way, is what we were just referring yes. to. For anyone who doesn't know, it's always They tropes. love that trope. Oh my god. They really do. But like, in the books, Eris dies, and that kind of mm. matters a little bit. Yep. <laughs> it matters, it matters thematically, it matters to the characters, and it matters plot-wise. All yeah. these things matter. Of course they do, but, it- it just became a plot about crazy women trying to kill an innocent girl. Mm-hmm. And what was it? What was the? Uh, what's the line? I always say it. It was a um, hypersexualized bisexual brown woman who killed a straight innocent white girl with a kiss. That's what happened. <laughs> and that's literally what they showed us. It's like there's no bad implications here. <laughs> Don't worry about it. It's edgy, Kylie. You don't get to choose whom you love. You're just too sensitive, okay? I I know. I'm sorry. Take off your social justice feminist goggles, okay? And just appreciate how awesome this show is. Like, how did they even work in her hypersexuality in this season? Like, how? (laughs) (laughs) What were they thinking? Uh, It's just like, I mean, the thing about porn that was at least slightly, I don't know, it, it kept me from going completely nuts is that everyone knew that this was a bad plotline. But yes. what I'm realizing more and more is people's issues with the plotline aren't the same issues I'm having. The issues that most people have is just like, this is boring and stupid and the sand snakes are dumb. Which, like, yes, I agree. That's all true. <laughs> that is all true, but there's a whole lot of sexism going on in this plotline. Yes. Like, Infantilization, if you don't know, is our favorite trope. Absolutely favorite. And it really is I'm every- kind of of the opinion I'm of the opinion that it's just the, the foundation of all sexism. It really it really is because infantilization yeah. you uh, someone can be infantilizing towards women without even realizing what they're doing because it's so ingrained yeah. in how people communicate. Um you know, for, for instance, uh I disagreed with something someone wrote about a song of ice and fire, actually about Dorn. And uh I guess I disagreed in a snarky tone, and he sent me an email that was like, I'm deeply disappointed that you would do this. And that is infantilizing. Yes. <laughs> to, like, cheat me like a little kid that did something wrong and I needed talking to. Um, and that was all of Dorn, was the men needing to talk to the women. And then 
the women were still. That's how they, I mean, to be fair, that's how some people interpret the book plotline too. That, you know, Arian had to learn how to listen to her father. Is that, like, is that fair though? Because it's, it's not a very good interpretation. I mean, like, they're obviously not reading the text closely enough that that's their interpretation, but it's an interpretation that exists in the fandom. A lot. Yeah. People just really pan on Dorne in general in the Mm -hmm. fandom for the, for the books, I mean. Um, so that might have been fueling a little bit how this plotline was adapted, but Benioff and Weiss claimed they couldn't wait to adapt Dorne. They were yes, they really love Dorne. excited. It's their favorite place in the world because it's just like Brazil. <sighs> and <laughs> Wait, they, they said that? They want, yes, that, that it's, uh, that it's, it's like Brazil. There's a quote where they said it's like Brazil? Yeah. It's in my essay. I, I linked to it. Oh my god. Yeah. We're not, I, I we're not, we're not, we're not shitting on Brazil shit. to be clear. We're just yeah, thinking it's a really because, funny comparison. Yeah, Brazil is a very complicated place with a complicated history and a complicated culture. Okay. Yeah, and to compare, and it's Dorne, not just about having sex on the beach all the time. Oh my god. Yeah, it's yeah. a what they called it a hedonistic lifestyle in Dorne. Yes, they're luxury loving. They're luxury loving hedonists in Dorne. That's that was their interpretation. So they couldn't wait to bring it to screen, and they yeah. marketed the hell out of the Sand Snakes. They did, and it was all about their weapons, which. Yeah. Like, like, what do people think? What do they think people liked about Oberyn? I don't understand. <laughs> I should it, like that Comic Con announcement with "Here's the uh-huh. meet the new characters" and the actor who played Tyene whips out her double daggers, and we're like, "What? What are you doing? Yeah, put those things away." And she was so proud of herself too. She's like, "I'm practicing. I'm practicing. You should practice a little more, honey." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> not, I'm sorry, that was infantilizing, but she should practice a little bit more. And she's like 18, you know? Yeah. She has very shapely boobs, which is why they cast her, so. Yeah, and her audition scene was the striptease. Yeah. Um, so they that, got that to see a lot of- basically tell you everything you need to know. They got to see a lot of 18 concerned. and 19 year old boobs. Um, the, the best that can be said about porn too, in addition to like everyone hated it, was that we dodged a bullet, because had Ariane been brought to oh our screen. Oh my gosh. It defi- I don't think I would have been able to handle it. It definitely would have been under the theme of come learn, listen to your dad. And yes. I don't and she's she's people do not get this character at all. It is no. true. They they see her as like, you know, impulsive and not too smart. And she's just like a party girl who reactive. doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's not her at all. And I, I I hope that the two of us in the past year or so have made a convincing argument about yeah, yeah i'm gonna actually... i'm gonna link the retrospectives i'm gonna link love yeah. skill i'm gonna link all of this and i'm sure yeah. we're gonna do an ariane martel podcast specifically because we pretty much yeah. did today but... we basically did but but like yeah it, it's and it's she she's kind of like stands in the part that she, like she's quite an internalized character and her thoughts matter a lot so it would be very challenging to put her on the screen in the first place even if you weren't a complete hack absolutely and so game of thrones is (laughs) hacktacular so but like if they had if they had you know uh competent screenwriters who understood you know the principles of adaptation and they had uh an actor as talented as alexander siddig to play arianne it but it could have been incredible I would have been okay with Alexander Siddig playing Ariane. Get an orphan black thing, like just him talking to himself. I would have been okay with that. <laughs> just like the, like shot reverse shot on. Yeah, just get get an orphan black table. thing going. Honestly, I would have preferred to watch Alexander Siddig playing every single part in Dorne. Yes, that that would have been something. 
Yeah. Can you imagine Alexander Siddig playing every single part in porn, though? So, like, he plays Filaria getting arrested, too. <laughs> well, the the way I stayed sane for a lot of this was to imagine that this is all one of Dr. Bashir's holodeck programs. <laughs> <laughs> we have this joke that, like, Ariane comes out from behind a tapestry, like, after they <laughs> film all this, and she's like, Dad, what the fuck? <laughs> what did you just do? What is happening here? It's all part of their plan. And the real Tristane is with her, and he's, like, hiding behind her, like, can you please make that fake Tristane go away? He's staring me. <laughs> Why does he have a sword? Ariane just, like, sprays him with a water bottle until he goes back where he came from. Oh, God. All right. We should, we should probably <laughs> end we should, this. Yeah. The, that was porn, guys. That was our... <laughs> that, it was an extremely well-structured discussion about this plotline. <laughs> but no, we'll be back. We'd really like to do this entire retrospective series as podcasts, actually. Um, as of now, Julia and I have four out of six of the plotlines <laughs> written, so we can talk about those. Yep. Um, there's so, just so many. And they're so long. <laughs> we'll also be back uh just with other sorts of book snobbery maybe we should like answer our asks or something from tumblr because we're both just awful at yeah, there are so many asks yeah uh, well, and if there's anything else you want to hear me and kylie talk about specifically related to a song of ice and fire or a game of thrones uh, we'll be happy to hear suggestions and maybe we can be book snobs about like other things like i don't pride and prejudice <laughs> we are snobby. The 1995 a version is the only adaptation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we can all basically agree on that. It's it's not controversial. I really hope not, because come on. Come on, guys. Come on. Well, yeah, just, so just drop us an ask on our Tumblrs or shoot us an email. We made a brand new shiny account at unabashedbooksnobbery, all one word, at gmail.com. That's unabashedbooksnobbery at gmail.com. Because, you know, the two of us can more or less blather about anything related to a song by Sinfire for hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really feel like we'll, we'll definitely at some point do an Ariane retrospective hour where we podcast about her. An hour? Really? That's so cute. <laughs> an Ariane retrospective half day marathon. Yes. So we could get like some Chinese food and some Red Bull and just <laughs> plug on through. Oh my god, that sounds kind of terrible, but also mostly wonderful. Yes. Um. But yeah, yeah, definitely email us or Tell us suggestions and feedback, comments, all of that good stuff. And uh, thank you for listening. Bye, everyone. <laughs>